Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and today our guest is Louise Azapati. Louise is truly a future star of the heavy vehicle industry, where she first joined Cummings as a heavy vehicle mechanic at the age of 15. She would go on to complete her apprenticeship, where she would eventually be nominated to compete at the World Skills Competition. She would compete both regionally, nationally, and then eventually globally, where she came fourth in the world in the category of heavy vehicle mechanics. Today, Louise is an apprentice trainer and assessor at Westrack. Louise, thank you for coming on the podcast. To kick things off, can you talk about what got you interested first in becoming a heavy vehicle mechanic? When I was in school, I uh, didn't really like being there. I wanted to leave in year 10 like that was something that I always had in mind my parents were like you can't my parents are on a farm and they didn't want me to leave um, school and work fully on the farm they wanted me to get a trade or some type of experience before going back to the farm if that's what I chose to do later on so having grown up on the farm so my parents are currently growing tomatoes I was doing all kinds of things from like repairing machinery farm work so like picking packing maintenance But the thing that got me the most was like repairing the tractors and all that kind of stuff. That was the stuff that I really enjoyed. And also we rode motorbike. Well, we rode together as a family. Um, I also did a bit of racing, did all my own repairs and servicing. So one thing I wanted to do was get into um, motorcycle mechanics. So I did work experience in all my school holidays of year 10 to try and get um, some connections and, um, you know, experience it as well. But I didn't have any luck. So people were willing to take me on for work experience, but they either had hired an apprentice the year before or were in a position to take an apprentice. Um, And also they said to me that motorcycle mechanics is more of a hobby thing and lots of people do their own maintenance. So there wasn't really too much money to be made in that kind of industry. So we went, um, my parents took me to the Penrith Apprenticeship Expo. Um, at Penrith Panthers and um, it's pretty much just a whole heap of different businesses there who have apprenticeships available. There I met Sarah so Sarah at the time was a first year heavy vehicle mechanic working for Cummins Um, so she chatted to me about her experience and she looked a lot like me she was the same height as me she was blonde she was the same build as me and she encouraged me to do work experience there and from there you know, I did my week there working on, on highway trucks, um, just on the engines. And it just amazed me working out, like being told little things. So mostly just the basics, because um, I had never really done much in-depth engine work. Um, but knowing different things, seeing the inside of the engine, you know, you know, working out how the power happens and all that kind of stuff. It really got me intrigued. So I ended up applying for a position at Cummins and then starting my apprenticeship the year later in 2012, when I was 15, I started my heavy vehicle apprenticeship. Wow, you must be like a real asset when it comes to the farm now, like being able to, I guess, provide advice and help fix machines when you're available. Yeah, well, my um, we actually got one of the tractors apart at the moment, but it's generally um, since having started working kind of thing, I, I'm generally away a bit. So usually it's a bit of a call from my dad and we usually chat about things but at the moment he's doing most of the the maintenance and he just kind of calls me for a bit of advice and still getting out there so we pulled apart the tractor um on christmas eve we put it no on boxing day we pulled the tractor apart because um it was making a noise and the pto stopped working so me and my younger brother um who's in year eight and he doesn't really know what he wants to do so we were pulling it apart and I was showing him different bits and pieces. So we were pulling apart like the diff section 
and like teaching him along the way, it was really enjoyable to do that with him. Well, wow, that must be a great feeling to to work with your family and sort of teach each other and it, just a, a great bonding experience. And I don't think everyone really gets to go through that sort of thing. So yeah, that must be a really great experience for you guys. So then do you want to maybe just talk a bit more about your first apprenticeship and what some of the vehicles that you were working on? So in my apprenticeship, I was based at Cummins in Rutherford Park. And we mainly worked on the ISX engine, so the 15-litre Cummins engine, on in on-highway trucks, so mainly Kenworth, but Western Stars. Um, and we also did um, the agitators as well, so um, some ISLs and ISMs um, come in every now and then. But the main engine we're working on the, was the ISX. We also had um, an um, engine rebuild section where we had engines come in from rail. So they were like the rail carts, either the generators or the driving engines, um, which were QSK 19s and L10s were the main ones that come through there, which would be like a full strip down and rebuild. Um, So mainly them just doing engine stuff. Every now and then, if we had to do like a rear main, we'd then pull out a gearbox and like pull off the clutch and stuff. But everything was um, servicing, repairs, diagnosis, um, engine rebuilds, but mostly in that warranty side of things being a dealer. So we kind of only really worked on the newer stuff and that, that warranty side of work, which was, it was good and bad in a way because we had, you know, like pretty much I've got like the whole manual of the ISX stored in my head, even though I left like four years later, it's still like all there. But then there wasn't, we didn't get much variety there as well it was just all that machine so towards the end so in 2016 I actually got a weekend job working at a smaller business that worked on like anything that was on a farm so we just pretty much serviced farms so cars trucks pumps ag equipment you name it if it if it moved like even irrigators and all that kind of stuff we would like go and fix it so that really I went and like looked for that kind of work to get some more variety there and you know get my hands on some different colored gear that's interesting. I guess if you are working on the same machine over and over again, it can get a bit stale sometimes, I guess. So like when a new machine does arrive, is that part of the thrill on like the challenge of trying to figure out how that engine works? And is that something that really is part of, I guess, what motivates you? Yeah. So getting a new challenge is like, it's pretty much one of my favorite things to do. It's kind of scary, but it's like exciting, scary, kind of like, you know, you're digging in, you're getting to discover something new. Um, how it works as you pull it apart you kind of yep this moves that moves this does this thing Um, and then putting it back together and like getting it all working again so when you're working on the same thing over and over again and you're doing repetitive jobs it's kind of just like the speed and then even with the speed that can almost be a downfall because you start taking shortcuts and then all that kind of stuff and you get kind of complacent so when you're working on different things it keeps you really sharp because you always have to be aware because you're not like super familiar. It's not like automatic with your body and your hands and this goes here, that goes there. You got to like keep looking because, you know, you don't know what's going to be there. You don't know what's going to be different, that kind of thing. That's a really interesting point. I guess for me, every time I've worked with a a service oriented business, the two main metrics are uh, total jobs completed per day per tech and then first time fix. And I guess if you are in that, that motion of, complete as many jobs as possible you can start making mistakes i guess where i guess if you are going through learning new things and constantly challenging yourself you always are going to be on the ball Mm, yes and i think um some businesses kind of it's it's a hard thing to do because businesses are pushing for that that time and that you know 
you know, time is money, go, go, go. And it's really hard to be able to balance like your performance as the business sees it, which is your speed of repair to like your awareness, your growth and you feeling like you've done a good job. It's something that I've kind of struggled with along the way is like, you know, I want to take pride in my work. You know, I want to take a little bit longer to then, you know, either learn a little bit more or make sure something's 100%. But whereas like most businesses are like, you're going too slow. You need to, you need to speed up. You need to do like more um, or do it more quickly. It's, it's really hard to find that balance. Yeah, I think trying to find that right balance is always going to be tricky, but I think it's a challenge that most businesses are always going through. So talking about challenges, what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were going through your apprenticeship? Yeah, so I had a few kind of different types of challenges. At the beginning, I didn't really feel like I had any challenges. I was like there to learn, you know, that first year, just absorbing all the information. And then it kind of, the workshop that I was in kind of had a bit of a kind of A-team mentality. So where there was like this group of people, then they, they were like the cool kids. And, you know, they got all the good jobs and, you know, they got invited out to the pub and for lunch and, you know, everyone used to like, they used to chat and whatever. And then there was like all the people on the outside. And I really wanted to get into that kind of cool group. Like I was the 16 year old girl, you know, like I was, you know, that that's what kids do. You want to fit in. So I ended up, you know, kind of going down a bit of a, you know, doing some things that weren't, you know, quite, you know, on the right path, you know, kind of straight a little bit. Um, and that kind of bit me in the ass because I did end up getting punished for doing the wrong thing at work. And I got a final written warning, um, which really hurt because I was someone who was really proud in like what I did and, you know, how the way that I treated others and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, knowing that I did something silly and against the rules just to fit in with a group of people who were actually you know, not that great themselves was something that I, you know, it was, it was a hard time for me because my work, my work was still doing well. It didn't really start to suffer until that kind of event took um, a toll on my mental health. And I really started doubting everything that I did. So I was, you know, my work was going all right. I had straight off the path, you know, everything was still going good. And then when I started like, I was getting bullied about the event that happened. So then I ended up coming forward and saying, you know, this has happened. This person's saying this about me. And then I started getting investigated um, and like the whole workshop started getting investigated. And that kind of segregated me from the workshop as well because everyone thought I was trying to get them fired, which wasn't the case. I just wanted, you know, to be left alone and not, not be bullied. So that took a really, like it took a dive on my mental health so much. And I doubted literally anything that I did. So everything that I touched, any job that I did, I started to really, really doubt myself. And I would, you know, double check things, triple check things, you know, be taking like so long on different jobs. Um, and it was something that I couldn't really move past at that workshop that I was at to the point where, you know, it kind of like got sorted out. But the impact that it had on me and my mental health, I couldn't, couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't get my speed back up because um, of all that doubt. So I ended up moving workshops and kind of having a fresh start and getting a bit of extra support to help me through that that doubt that I had created in my own mind. Um, so that was that was one of the biggest challenges that I like I faced uh, with sexual harassment and that kind of thing. I've had a few people say things to my face, but I can brush them off pretty quickly. I had one guy say to me, like, look me dead in the eye and tell me that I didn't belong there. But I was like, Make get with the times. Um, <laughs> I had, um, I was contracting out or the workshop that I was working for, we used to work on different sites 
And um, I had one guy there who would be like, it was actually the owner of the business, unfortunately. He would be like, you know, Louise, you're the woman, you need to clean up. You know, oh, this the apprentices left something out, you need to clean it up. And like my boss would be like, but he's literally still doing the job. Like his job is to clean up when he's finished. And this guy would be like, oh no, but Louise is a woman, she can just clean up after everyone, which was something that was really frustrating and like I would go to send up for myself and he'd just kind of egg him on to do it more, um, which was really unfortunate. And I um, requested to be moved from that site, unfortunately, because I couldn't, I tried to use every technique that I had to kind of deal with it, but I couldn't, you know, get him to stop, um, which was annoying. But now like going forward, like now I'm in the training space and I've been teaching for almost two years um, and I haven't had any issues with my students. Um, I've taught, classes that have been all guys I've been the youngest person in the room and everyone's respected me I haven't had any issues which is is great to see that it's changing but I don't know if it's just changing from what I can see I still know that other girls are going through um, issues as well um, so I think some workshops you know each workshop or each space each company has their own way of changing to go through if any changes needed they might already be there but to say like to have a blanket statement for the industry altogether, it's it's impossible because each, depending on management, depending on, you know, the people that are in the business, every business is at a different stage with that kind of stuff. And so do you think that those challenges that you went through really motivated you to put you on the path to the person that you've become today? In the early stages, like, I just wanted to be a mechanic forever. Like, that was just like, I'm just going to be a mechanic and, you know, one day I'll get married and I'll have kids and, you know, I'll be a mom and, you know, that's it kind of thing. Um, that's what I had in my head. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But that kind of path changed for me, you know, after, you know, I got led astray. And then I realised, like, as I got older, as I got through it myself, there were so many other people that were in that position, you know, young people, um, in the position where you're easily influenced, you don't really know what's going on. Well, not that you don't, you think that you know what's going on, but you don't actually know what's going on. Um, but that kind of thing. And, you know, the kind of support that I got, like I found a few good people to support me and I really, really value them in my life. But if they hadn't reached out to me, then I wouldn't have got that help. I didn't know where to look for to get help. And kind of, you know, being, you know, being that support person for someone else has, is something that I really want to do. I want to be the person I wish I had when I was in that position where I didn't know where to look, that kind of thing, and have those conversations, even if there's nothing physically you can do, if you can sit there and chat with a person and help get all the facts out of their head and that kind of stuff, which is something that I really wish I had. Um, or, you know, having a chat with someone and encourage them to go see a counsellor or a psychologist because someone reached out to me and did that to me and, you know, without them, you know, I probably wouldn't be here. Being that person for someone um, really means a lot to me. That's a great mentality to have and I think you're sort of wise beyond your years and I think you really, really gain that insight by sort of going through something and as you mentioned, sometimes if people don't reach out, and try and help people sometimes they they do feel like they're alone so it's a, a really good thing that you're trying to strive towards now we've already spoke about this briefly but it'd be great to understand about how many women typically become heavy vehicle mechanics and what was the response from your peers with that so i think the stat is about like 1.5 
or 2% of mechanics are female or women in the automotive industry as a whole. So that stat, like there's not too much research on it. There are actually some um, some people who are doing papers and all that kind of stuff currently, but that 1.52% is something that like is the most recent thing that I've heard. And what that kind of translates to is pretty much one in five workshops will at least have one girl kind of thing when you're looking at, you know, actually where you'd see us. My peers were pretty good with it because I was the second female in the workshop at Cummins. So I was really lucky to have her there um, with me, even though there's this funny kind of thing that happens is apparently well, something that I've experienced and someone told me that this phenomenon kind of thing is that when you're in a male dominated space and, you know, there's two girls there, generally they don't kind of have a connection or a relationship. But if you chuck another girl in there and there's three, then that relationship kind of builds, which is something that I experienced. So um, me and the other girl, we had, you know, we didn't have anything against each other, but we didn't have a solid connection. We, it was kind of like, a, how was your weekend? Yeah, good. You know, what did you work on today? Go off and do our own thing. And then we had an, a third girl join us. And that's when we started, you know, talking a bit more, you know, sharing a bit more of our personal stories, you know, having lunch together, all that kind of stuff. So that was something, you know, someone pointed that out to me and they're like, there's this thing, you know, have you experienced it? And I was like, yeah, actually I have, you know, you know, two girls, apparently they don't, you know, there's nothing against them, but they just don't connect amazingly. And then, you know, chuck a third girl in there and they do connect. So I experienced that, but my peers, like in sentence, they just asked me to do work and, you know, if I could do it, I could do it. If not, I'd ask for help. I found that, you know, with my size physically, um, having a diverse workforce, especially in a workshop that works in machines, having a diverse range of people and their body size, um, hand size, you know, ability to fit in small spaces um, actually comes in really handy because I found that as much as I was asking for help for the heavy lifting, those guys were asking me to fit in these tight little spaces that they couldn't get in. Um, so that diverse size, you don't have to be a big man to, to be a mechanic. You know, you do need, you know, us little people fit in the spaces that they can't go in. So that's really important too. Those jobs need to be done. <laughs> um, but really that that's kind of that's kind of it with the I've had, you know, a bit of harassment, like I said before, but um it's been mostly a, like 95% an amazing experience. One of my friends is an electrician and he's six foot four and he's always complaining about getting into small spaces in roofs and stuff like that. Maybe he needs an apprentice that's of small size as well. I think when people think of diversity, it is, um, they kind of think of that, you know, the gender diversity, you know, that racial diversity, but even that, that, that thing, the body size and that kind of thing, like being small isn't a disadvantage. And I think that's all, something that people see a lot with trades. They're like, oh, you're too small. You're not going to be able to do it. But realistically, like, yeah, getting into roofs in every trade, you know, everyone has different physical abilities and that having a diverse range of physical abilities within a group just helps so much. So then what advice would you give to other women that were thinking about joining the mechanical industry? I'd say go for it 100%. If it's one, what you want to do, don't let anyone else deter you from that. You just got to go in and give it your all. Don't get scared to get your hands dirty. Don't get scared to do something that you haven't done before. You know, doing things that you haven't done before is the only way that you're going to grow. Just, you know, just FYI to someone, you know, I haven't done this before, but I want to give it a go. Can you just check my work afterwards? And away you go. Give it a go. Ask heaps of questions because asking questions is the only way that you're going to go get the answer pretty much. 
and work out the best way that it is for you to learn. So some people like to read, some people like to actually do things. There's heaps of YouTube videos out there if there's any extra information you want to learn. And I think that's probably the best, the best way is just to go in, get your hands dirty, work out what you need in that space, and then give it your all. Now, going back to your career for a little bit, did you want to talk about some of the roles that you've had to date? Yeah, so I started off uh, my apprenticeship at Cummins and I worked there for four and a half years. So I turned tradie, stayed there for a little bit longer. And then I moved to a smaller workshop where I was doing field service and workshop-based work, um, servicing farms. So all the, the trucks, the cars, the ag equipment, tractors, it moved, we fixed it kind of thing. So that was really good um, heaps of variety for that and I was there for about two years um, from there um, unfortunately I've um, experienced a stage of burnout um, so I ended up having um, about four months off full-time work and then I went into um, apprentice mentoring for the ISMA program which is a government-funded mentoring program and I worked for them about for about six months um, going around to different automotive workshops and just chatting to apprentices about how things were going with them. Um, and I really enjoyed that type of work. And then I went into um, apprentice training. So in 2018, I moved up to Newcastle and I, no, 2019, beginning of 2019, I um, moved up to Newcastle where I took a role as a apprentice trainer and assessor um, for heavy vehicle and plant mechanics. Um, so, well, not just apprentices, also doing trade upgrade. Um, so people converting over. So for the last two years, I've been doing that, or almost two years I've been doing that, um, which I've really enjoyed, you know, building a relationship with the students, teaching them, working on their weaknesses, you know, applauding them on their strengths um, and then teaching them things that they, um, they didn't know before they come into class, um, which is something that I really, really enjoy. And, um, yeah, I think next year is going to be a bit of a shift up for me, moving more into that supporting space rather than that formal teaching space. So when you first joined the industry, were you aware that your current role even existed? And like, what was the transition into moving into that type of more training role? So for me, like the transition was like, so pretty much the role that I'm in now is just like a TAFE teacher role, just with a private RTO for Westrack. Um, so obviously I knew TAFE teachers existed because I went to class, but I didn't really see myself in that position. None of the teachers, none of the trainers that I had looked anything like me. Um, I was lucky to come across another girl at, at TAFE while I was there. So I kind of, you know, I didn't see myself becoming a TAFE teacher before um, starting up. But when I got into like my fourth year and um, like training apprentices um, just in the workshop, I really, really enjoyed that side of things. And in that third year, or like in that fourth year is when I kind of realized, you know, maybe I don't want to be a mechanic forever. I want to go some, somewhere else, different direction. I didn't quite know what it was. And that kind of like training the younger apprentices is what kind of encouraged me to go into that training, that training path. So I kind of, yeah, asked around, asked questions, you know, ended up getting my um, cert for and training and assessment, which is what you need to be a TAFE teacher. So I did that and then I started, you know, building on that experience to then get the position and making those connections. There was one moment in particular where I was training a deaf apprentice. Um, so at Cummins, we had a deaf apprentice and well, he's a tradie now. So they've got a deaf tradie um, and he is amazing. But I was trained when I was a fourth year, I think he was a second year. 
we were doing this job. Um, so I, I can't sign. I was learning a little bit when I was working with him. So we would write on like a whiteboard or on a piece of cardboard or something. So we were doing this job, which was an inch-sizey bearing roll on a cab over Kenworth. I can't remember exactly what model. But we were underneath and he was, you know, I want to do the bearing roll. So he like, so pretty much we're lying underneath the machine, not in a pit or anything, just lying underneath there. Me, this deaf guy, no actual way to communicate other than writing. And I was showing him how to do a bearing roll. So we'd show... We'd roll over, we'd write on the cardboard that we were laying on with texters to like, you know, any questions he had, anything I needed to tell him. And then, you know, he'd give it a go and I'd watch him do it. And, you know, he did it all good or anything that I, he needed to fix up. I pointed that out. And then away he went. He did the bearing roll on his own after I showed him the f- first few. So being able to teach someone who you don't actually have an easy way of communicating with, it was just like, an amazing feeling like to be able to, you know, I've shown this guy that, in, uh, in any other kind of lifetime I wouldn't have been able to communicate with, I've shown him how to do something and now he's got that skill. Wow, what a great example of effective communication but not through speaking. Like to be a good trainer, you've got to be patient, you've got to be able to understand like what the person's going through and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, I really think that's a great example of something that maybe was a sign that you were meant to be a trainer in the future. So... Look, I've, I've heard that you've got a piston on your bookshelf. What is the significance of that piston and what does it mean to you? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've got a piston on my um, my bookshelf just next to some other keepsakes. Um, it's actually a piston from the first rebuild I ever did on my own. Um, so I was a second year at the end of my second year, Um I was like fresh 17, had done a few builds with like other people just as the apprentice and, you know, helping them out. And a rebuild come in, it was a um, blown head gasket um, drop liner. The cooling system was pressurizing and the supervisor looked at me and he's like, Louise, I think you're ready to do this one on your own. You know, how do you feel? And I'm like, I'm nervous, but, you know, I'll do it. And he's like, uh, any questions you got? You know, I'm here. So I went through and I, you know, I did all the diagnosing the head off you know confirm drop liner you know strip the whole engine clean everything assess everything all back together you know that first startup feeling so nervous um I can't remember I think one of the boys did on another job but you know startup you know just watching the oil pressure kicking it over and hearing it running and then it was just the best feeling ever like to be able to say, you know, I did that on my own. I did the timing on my own. I did the bear roll on my own. I did all the tensioning on my own. And now I've got a running engine that that's fixed and, you know, it made it through its dyno and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was an amazing feeling. And we, we ended up changing, we put new pistons in it. So I was able to take one um, just as a keepsake of that, that achievement. Yeah. I can imagine that would have been a great, a great feeling and a, a great notch to add to your belt. So, so talking about skills, what is the World Skills Competition and what was your involvement? So World Skills is a pretty much a tradie competition and it goes into other things that you don't typically consider as trades as well. So it's running things like um, heavy vehicle, um, light vehicle, welding, cooking, uh, patisserie, um, graphic design, hairdressing, beauty therapy, 
Um, I think there's about 60 different categories at a national level of all different skills. So it's aimed at younger people. So there is an age limit. Um, I think the age limit for the national competition is 24. So pretty much for me as a mechanic competing in the competition, we had six different stations and um, yeah, each station was kind of like a different part of the machine, a different breakdown. So we did like hydraulics, gearboxes, engines, brakes, um, precision measuring, uh, what else did we do? Electrical, that kind of stuff. Um, so for world skills, it's run at a regional, national, and an international level. So my involvement started in 2015 when I was asked to compete in the regional competition. So we were asked to compete like a week before the competition actually happened. And like I was, I had heard about it. Someone else in our workshop had competed and he went all the way and won gold um, nationally. So I was like, oh yeah, I know this thing exists. And I'm like, oh, you know, now I'm in it. So yeah, we had one week's notice, did a little bit of study, you know, competed at the competition. Um, there were six of us competing and like going into the competition, I was like, my goal is to just not come last. You know, I'll, I feel like I achieve something if I just don't come last. <laughs> so I went in, you know, just kind of like, you know what, whatever, I'm just going to work out, you know, what I know, what I don't know, and just, you know, try and work things out as I go along. So I did that and I managed to come second in that competition, which Considering I just didn't want to come last, it was pretty good. I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> so generally when, um, usually going into the national competition, um, only the gold medal regionally goes in, but because they had a like a drop in numbers that year, um, I was put forward as someone to go if there was a spot. Four months later, I found out that I was able to compete in the national competition. So the national competition is pretty much, we had 10 of us from all over the country in heavy vehicle mechanics. Um, other categories can have up to like 20 or 30 people in the national competition, depending on how many regionals have run. So I was one of 10 competing in the national for heavy vehicle. I was the first female to ever compete in the national competition. Um, and the competition has been run for about 40 years. So that it itself was an achievement. And I went in and I was like, you know what? I didn't think I was going to do so well at the last one. And I managed to come second. I'm like, I'm not coming second again. <laughs> Let's put all the work in <laughs> um, to, to get that gold medal. Um, so I ended up doing a trade upgrade um, in Autoelec. So I upgraded my trade to Autoelec and I also upgraded my trade in Mobile Player. So I had a few extra qualifications. I had already done my Cert 4 and Diagnosis and did all that kind of extra work and prep on areas that I wasn't too comfortable with. And then I went into the national competition. So the difference between the regionals and the nationals is that the regionals is run over one day and you do kind of 45 minute or an hour kind of tasks. Whereas the nationals is um, run over three days and the six categories go for three hours each. So you're competing for quite um, a bit longer and also more in depth. Um, so I kind of went in and, you know, I was like, I've been training for the last six months, you know, let's just, whatever happens now happens. There's nothing else I can do. <laughs> um, so I went in, gave them my all. I kind of finished the tasks um, with like some of them, I had like an hour to spare and I'm like, surely I've missed something. There's got to be something that I've missed. So when I was um, talking to my, we had team leaders. So I was, the team leader was like, how'd you go? And I'm like, oh, well, I either got everything or I've, I've missed something. I, I don't really know what's happening. And he was like, oh yeah, cool. And um, later on, he told me, he's like, I knew you won it because I watched you and everyone else was just like, you're doing amazing. So I ended up taking out gold for that competition in 2016. And then from there, um, I actually got the opportunity to compete in the international competition. So that time, all that round, the international competition was held in Abu Dhabi. So I trained for a year 
um, on top of working full time to then go compete um, in Abu Dhabi against 16 other countries. Um, so with that comp, it was similar to nationals, except instead of having six categories, there were seven and they were all that three hours each as well. And it was like super formal kind of thing. You couldn't like the judges weren't allowed to talk to anyone and like you couldn't have people taking photos. You couldn't have your phone all day, all that kind of stuff. Um, and from there, like I was so nervous. I um, kind of stuffed up one section and um, I was like, oh, it's all gone. It's all over. I'm going to come last. It's the end of the world. So after all of that, went through the four days of competition. We had our closing ceremony where they announced the medals. Um, you know, they announced third, second, first. You know, I didn't get a place. Um, but then my mentor come up and found me after the ceremony. And he's like, guess what? And I'm like, he's like, guess where are you coming? I'm like, oh, you know, bottom three. And he's like, you come fourth. He's like, you were literally like so close to getting a medal. And the funny thing is I actually tied fourth with the French guy. Um, he wasn't too happy about it at the moment at the time. He, I should, like, he asked, he's like, well, what did you come? And I was like, I come fourth. And he's like, oh, me too. And he was like, oh, shit, like I didn't even beat the girl. I just tied with her. Um, <laughs> but um, in saying that, you know, uh, four years on, we're actually um, pretty good friends. We're the only two, like him and me, uh, um, or he's the only one that I've stayed in contact with from the competition, from the competitors. So that's kind of built a surprising relationship tying, you know, fourth in the world with someone. But from there, I've, um, I've judged the nationals. I went over to Russia, to the internationals in Russia. Um, and volunteered over there um, and I'm currently I'm national chief judge for the national competition that's going to be held next year in Perth um, for heavy vehicle so yeah it's been a bit of a journey. Wow what, a, what an achievement I think that's something you should be really proud of because it, it's just a testament to all the skills that you've learned over the years and being able to apply them and it also talks to your your passion and your dedication the fact that you went through all those different competitions and you're still involved now on the judging side as well it, it really shows your 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 energy and your your passion to to help others and, and really be the best you can and i think that's something that a lot of people should be able to take away from just listening to this now you did mention that you made a mistake now often people make mistakes when they challenge themselves so how important do you think it is to step outside your comfort zone and 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 really challenge yourself and and feel uncomfortable, I guess is maybe the best way of putting it. I think it's really important to feel uncomfortable when you're learning because it means you're doing something new and you're a bit nervous. But kind of that what I've what I've seen that nervousness translate into is is that you care about what you're learning. So I've seen a lot of people who don't get nervous when they're doing something new but they also don't absorb it because they're like, I don't need to learn anything. And then they just kind of go through and they don't really absorb things. But when you, I found that when you're a bit nervous, it shows that you kind of really care about what you're doing. You're a little bit anxious because you want to do it right. And you want to learn as much as you can. So I've kind of, you know, recognizing themselves that sometimes when I get really nervous and I feel like, you know, I can't do this because I'm so nervous. And then I just think, you know, I'm nervous because I really care about what I'm doing and I really care that I'm learning this thing. And I really care that I'm going over this, this challenge means a lot to me. Um, so kind of accepting your nervousness and like you're feeling uncomfortable as a sign that you care about what you're doing um, is something that really helped me overcome nerves. Um, and then going through that and then being able to look from the other side. So um, something that I didn't realise and kind of it put it into words for me is um, the book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. It puts it into words that saying happiness is 
happiness is produced by overcoming challenges, small challenges all the time. And reading that kind of statement was like, yeah, that's, that's, you know, how I feel like I'm uncomfortable and then I've overcome a challenge and I'm, I'm happy, you know, I've overcome a challenge. I look back on it. I'm proud. It, gives, it fills me with a good feeling. And then after like not achieving anything for a while, then you kind of mellow out a bit and you're like, I'm not, I'm not so happy anymore. And then you kind of find the next challenge and you overcome it. And um, I think, you know, that kind of realizing, you know, scared, nervous, you care about it. You're going through something that's going to help you grow. You're going to feel good on the other side enjoy that feeling good and then kind of go on to the next challenge, the next thing you're going to learn. Kind of, it's really important to recognise that as well so then you don't get debilitating nerves and you can't actually do things. But, yeah, recognising that you care about something and you're really excited to do it. And then looking back on the other side and realising that, you know, you're, you're, you've grown since going through that, that thing. And, you know, now I kind of look and I'm like, I still get nervous all the time. And I'm like, but the challenges that I'm going over are so much bigger than what I thought a challenge was last year. Like something that I thought was a challenge last year, like I could almost do it in my sleep now. And being able to look back and say that as well, because I feel like sometimes you feel like you're going nowhere. You're like, you know, I'm still nervous. I'm still scared. But then looking at, at the size of the challenges that you're overcoming really does help, you know, realize that you're moving forward. Yeah, well, I think everyone gets nervous when they're working on something new or it's a, it's a challenging task that they're, they're taking on. And the people that don't get nervous well, they're probably not interested and they're probably getting bored. And I'd say that the people that aren't getting nervous probably aren't pushing themselves enough to maybe unlock new skills or put themselves out there. And I think that's a really good thing that you're setting an example for about taking the time outside of your work to upskill yourself in something, which then is obviously going to help you both professionally and personally which i think is a really good thing which sort of leads me to my next question like obviously you've learned a lot over this time but if you could go back and give yourself some advice like what would you say to yourself you know sitting my younger self down and probably be like you know take it easy on yourself don't be so hard on yourself you know you're learning it's okay to be nervous it's okay not to know everything you know you don't know everything now and you probably never will, but you'll know a lot more later on and kind of, you know, listen to others, you know, listen to others, but don't do exactly what others say, you know, listen to others, sit there and think about what that makes you feel like, you know, does it feel good? Does it feel bad? And listen to yourself as well. So, you know, listen to others. Some people, sometimes people don't say the best things. But look at how that makes you feel, how you respond emotionally to that, and if you think you should take that on board. That's some great advice. So, like, how do you define success? And you're still early in your career, but what do you think was maybe a defining moment for you as well? I think kind of success is really open-ended for me. Success is, you know kind of finding the next challenge and, you know, having the strength to go through the next challenge and being open to the next challenge, I think, is probably the easiest way to put it, is always leaving yourself open and ready to grow. I feel like, you know, if you're not, if you're not succeeding, you kind of just close yourself off and you, you put a roadblock in front of yourself and that, you know, you're kind of on that hamster wheel going over and doing the same thing over and over again and that, doesn't really seem like success to me. I want to, you know, success is someone 
or some like well, for myself that I can just keep growing and growing and growing and going to the next thing as well. And I think probably one of the most defining moments of success for me is um, kind of the respect the students have for me without me having to do anything. So well, not, not having to do it, having done all the previous work kind of thing. So having my knowledge and my experience kind of speak for itself, being able to answer questions, being able to have, you know, the respect for myself and the students to be like, you know, actually, I don't know that thing. You know, I can I can look it up for you and get back to you later. Yeah, being able to walk into a room of people who are almost twice your age with your lifetime experience and have them respect you is is just something that is so amazing that I've felt. And also another moment was um, a student calling me and asking me for advice while he was on a job. Um, so he was out in the middle of, I think he based at Mudgee and he was doing this job and he was a bit uncertain and we had just done that subject a few weeks before. So he gave me a call and I was so surprised. I was like, why is he calling me? And then he's like, oh, I've got this truck, you know, and he started going through that he's done. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're on the right track. And, you know, having a student reach out to me um, and just ask for some advice was amazing because I've got um, actually at my desk at work, uh, one of my coworkers who is about 67 and he's been spinning spanners for whatever I always hear people from all over the country call him and ask him for advice. And I've always kind of looked at that and be like, yeah, you know, if I, if people call me and ask me for advice, you know, that that's when I've made it. <laughs> um, and then having that, that student call me and ask me for advice. I'm like, yeah, this is, I'm on the right track. I'm getting there. <laughs> well, look, you are definitely on the right track. I can tell you that much. Well, look, Louise, I really want to thank you for coming on the rental journal podcast. Yeah, that's all right. It's been great on here. <laughs> Please share, follow, like the Rental Journal podcast, and I'll see everyone in next week's episode. Bye.